And what would you say to people who say, oh, I'm not going to bother to register to vote because my voice doesn't make a difference, or I'm just one person? I say one, I say one name, Donald Trump. That should motivate you. Get off your ass and vote. Will you, will you sue him for us? Oh, we're going to definitely sue him. We're going to be a real pain in the ass. He's going to know my name personally. I love it. We are now entering the home stretch ahead of the midterm election. For months, political analysts have said a red wave is coming. A referendum on inflation, illegal immigration, indoctrination. How are Democrats mitigating that red wave? It's why people don't trust people like you because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Oh, do we ever have a rendezvous with destiny? Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program on a very high energy Thursday. It's going to be a great episode. Oh, very boy. excited. Just and, so and, and, great to be here. And I love opening with Letitia James on the campaign trail with one of these like brainworm lips. She's like, will you sue Donald Trump for us? And she's like, yep. I mean, well, there you go. Like if it was, it could I'm, not be I'm more obvious that this is just political garbage. Vote for me. I will sue the former president. Yeah. Which is, I mean, and we should get into this off the top. I, first of all, I want to do a couple of introductions here so, so you know what's coming. But yeah. then we need to get into that for a minute before we get into the meat of the program because it's important to have context as to why we led the show with that. Yeah. Right. Right. First off, let me just say, Dr. Oz here in studio. Let's go. It yes. was, I mean, it was a fantastic interview. It was a fantastic interview. He's so good. And, and honestly, the, the difference between he and his opponent, Fetterman, my God, if you are anywhere in the center right of this electorate, there's not a choice. Like, this is a mandate. No, no, I think he's going to win. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm more convinced win. today than but I. But again, it's going to take all of us, all of us working towards this red wave to make it happen. It's not just happening; it's it's all of us working together. But I mean, after that interview, he did dynamite job, and and we absolutely got to make sure he gets in the center. He's just yeah. crazy smart for a first time candidate to totally. be this well versed. Who, who would have thought an open heart surgeon is yeah. just like <laughs> on top of their shit? Yeah, yeah. It turns out, turns out he knows what he's talking about. Uh, we have a sponsor for today's program, the Common Sense Leadership Fund. You've heard a lot about uh, them from Kevin McLaughlin, who will again join us today to talk about an update on the tech bills that he's working at. I know a lot of you have been super interested. We get a lot of traffic on that to see where all that is because you're well acquainted with Democratic efforts to try to silence Republicans, particularly when people aren't paying attention, which is uh, what he's got his eye on. So we welcome him. Also want to give a thanks to Megan Kelly. Mm -hmm. We did her show yesterday. Fellas, I don't know if I've laughed that hard in a long yeah. time. I mean, every time we do it, it's amazing. But really, folks, you really should listen to this. Part. She, she saved the bangers for the third block of her show. Because, <laughs> I mean, I could barely keep it together. There, there, there was at least like a 15-second period in that third segment where none of us could speak. We were laughing. It was just dead air, yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, so you have to tune in to find out what it was that we were talking about. Trust me, you will not be disappointed with yeah. the topic and if you if you happen to listen to that show and maybe this is your first time listening to the variety program welcome welcome to the program love to have you love to have you um all right so let's go back to the top with Letitia james um the news broke this week that she and her attorney general's office of new york is now suing the trump organization and several children uh for transgressions she alleges happen over a long period of time you know i will see what all she alleges let me just say at the outset beyond any of the substance that we're talking about here 
the idea that all of these Democrats just happened upon suits and allegations and DOJ efforts against former President Trump within 100 days of the election just is a it's a hell of a coincidence, right? Guys? Yeah, yeah. Or, or also like, you know, the Democrats who want to empty our jails seem to be very, very, very focused on investigations into one specific person. Right. <laughs> it's fascinating, isn't it? And, and, and it's like you said, this is not in any way germane to right now. Like I was looking at, uh, at these allegations in, in this lawsuit. It's like Trump's uh, uh, condo in Manhattan should be valued at 100 million, not 300 million dollars. Really? Like this, like this is why you are bringing a lawsuit during like an election site, like right in the middle of it. There's there's a dude in Manhattan swinging a hatchet in a McDonald's trying to kill people. And the district attorney is like, I wonder how much Donald Trump's apartment is. <laughs> I wonder if he valued that. That's your concern? Well, the guy with the hatchet is is out. Exactly. He's, he was He's let right out. back on the streets, man. Like They're, you can't go to a McDonald's and be safe in Manhattan. But like... The DA is absolutely checking the real estate listings and hitting refresh on Donald Trump's. Yeah. But they're not. They're not even charging him. They're yeah. just no. It's a suing. civil suit. It's a lawsuit. It's a. But it, it's another way for Democrats to try to allege impropriety and get it into the headlines pre-election, right? I mean, we we've talked about how suddenly the DOJ became interested in classified documents that the former president had in his possession for a year and a half within 100 days of an election. Yeah, and it's like a National Archives issue. They're like, we want to make sure the Presidential Museum has these documents. Like, They're like, oh, he's got nuclear secrets. Yeah. Wouldn't you think in February of 2021 that would become an issue? The SWAT team should have been right down. Right? I mean, if that was, <laughs> if that's truly what was there, wouldn't you think that would have been the appropriate time to you, sort of recover those things? No, know. no, no. No, not until the election year. <laughs> not until within 100 days. And of course, Letitia James, in the, in the sound that we provided off the top, was Tells promising you. this people that she would do this for months. Which, I mean, it could not be more important to point out. At this point, Democrats are getting elected by promising they will use the resources of the state, taxpayer-funded resources of the state, to punish their political opponents. And that is... That's what this is. We talked a little bit about this on Megyn Kelly, mm -hmm. but, you know, you hear from these people all the threats to democracy. Oh, they're so concerned about threats to democracy. Oh, how can we ever go on as a, re a republic with the existence of Donald Trump? Let me just posit that there's probably no bigger threat to democracy itself than if its citizens believe that the people in power will use the levers of government and, and law enforcement itself against political opponents in a political context, which is exactly what's happening here. Right. I mean, they, they that's right. There used to be this this maxim that the DOJ operated under pre combing that you didn't actually bring any action against anybody in the political arena within a, 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 a close proximity of an election because of the mere perception right. of impropriety of this. Right. Because somewhere somebody could potentially allege that the timing was coincidental. These guys just don't give a shit. <laughs> well, that's why I'm so surprised that these people in New York have done this, because they have long been above partisanship. In this <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I could not be more excited about this episode. But, I mean, that's just a taste of what's to come. Yeah, we're going to be firing hot. You know, I think we should start. We haven't done some five stars in a while, so let's let's do some of that. Uh, Smash, do you want this top one? Yeah, sure. So this is from Love Barker, and it's titled Contagious Laughter. And Love Barker writes, 
Came for the commentary, stayed for the laughter. I listened to... Uh, wow. I listen at one and a half speed most days to cram in more. Um, and when you guys laugh, it makes my day. The sped-up version of the laughter makes it even better. Keep up the great work. <laughs> you sound, sound like the chipmunks. I, I, I hear that, and now I'm going to try to add more bass to my laugh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, that. You want this one, Duncan? Sure. Uh, this is from Chris and ATL. The title is No One Else Can Do What These Guys Do. Wow, thank you. That's nice. Um, forget the Oracle of Omaha. There's a new group of Midwest prognosticators in town wow. whether whether it's the inner machinations of the marble halls of congress of you into the chess match of arcane senate rules national race predictions months ahead of the pollsters or just the latest rust belt college and nfl talk the fellows at ruthless tell you what is happening today in u.s politics yes. he gets it uh, between comedy gold like brainworm Twitter takes and the latest dangerous animal news, the fellas take time to give you an inside view of the Beltway that feels more like hanging out with your buddies than coat and tie three network n- news network pundits. Mm. I love it. Every episode feels like you, the listener, are in on the inside joke. Their Chicago land Terry McAuliffe skit had me <laughs> laughing so hard I couldn't breathe. <laughs> the multiple episode Hank the Tank mafioso racket was gold. Amid all the humor, their interviews and analysis give you a fresh perspective. Harriet Hageman, Chris Christie, Glenn Youngkin, Adam Laxalt, and many more current and rising cons- star conservatives highlight every episode. It's a variety program. Filled with fun games and hard-hitting news in a way that no one else in the business can deliver. I feel wow. like Chris gets us more than anyone in the world. Chris, I, Chris and should, ATL should write like he our, should be our, our flag. Yeah, he should be our flag. We gotta find this guy because he just got he just nailed our he nailed thesis it. statement. There you go. That, that, that's our mission statement right there. Oh, man, it's fantastic. It's worth noting before we get into the meat of the program, as we say. Uh, that we will again play King of the Hill here on Thursday. Yep. Yeah, you know it's an important. It important is. Thing. You have something to look forward to in addition to the. There's interview. the candy. It's coming. It's coming. All right. So let's talk the economy. Right. U.S. gas prices in streak of declines, just short of a hundred days. Falling fuel costs have recently helped temper the overall inflation, but if but the effect may be a waning. Oh no. Oh. And, and that's the thing is again when when. Chris and ATL pointed out that we are prognosticators and we like see into the future. I at least last week, if not the week before, we warned our listeners about the fact that this administration, seeing that all of their policies is making inflation worse, grocery prices are going up, everything is more expensive, their way to try and in the election season try to somehow slow down gas prices is release the strategic reserve, which is just like in utter chaos like right. it, yeah. like we're supposed to use that for national security exactly right. like this is basically our like in case of apocalypse crack the seal petroleum and they're they're like oh well let's just sell some of it's been sold to china but like they just released these reserves and they're like hey guys this is this is gonna stop like gas prices going up and i think some pointed out that uh, uh ron Klain was trying to spike the football being like hey Gas prices are now like lower than they have been in three months, and it's and someone replies to them like they're fifty percent higher than when Trump was president. Like, <laughs> how is this an accomplishment, you guys? But like, this is why. Like we told you folks, is they've been using the strategic reserve to try to counter uh, uh, rising gas costs, and now it stopped working. It stopped working. Sad. And, and but but their ideology goes so far that they actually they sort of like 
cross pollute their championing items right so this headline caught, it's, a, it's a complicated coalition it's a complicated coalition so so you know they've long been supporters of of indigenous people uh-huh right or claim a, to be as yeah. a marginalized group oh wait hold on hold on listen to this headline from foxnews.com biden admin signs against uh, sides against native americans and crackdown on oil leasing near indigenous site Oh, okay. Well, what's that about? The Biden administration is expected to soon finalize a rule banning oil and gas leasing near a Native American historical site, despite heavy opposition from local indigenous leaders who said the administration's rule would prevent them from collecting royalties on their land, Hmm. on their land, Hmm. their land. Like, I don't know about you guys, but that is so infuriating. How is that even possible? I mean, you have these these reservations that the indigenous people control. Right. But somehow this administration is now telling them that they cannot operate the oil leases on their own land. I mean, and I think this is this is an incredible story in the sense that, um, yes, there are many indigenous groups who do suffer hardships. And throughout the years, many different, uh, you know, they've innovated and found many different business practices whether it's uh, starting tourism to, to make their land more appealing like they did in Colorado. And I, I visited it and it was wonderful and beautiful. Or a lot of them have gotten to casinos and gaming and like here's an opportunity for them to use the resources that they have on their land. And the Biden administration says, no, you cannot allow Americans to have more affordable energy. <laughs> I mean, think about it. So so their, their willingness to put us at entire dependence in international energy and greenify whatever the hell that means the united states of america has actually run up against native americans right right and they're like fuck you guys we're still doing it it's yeah all made i mean up. it's truly it's unbelievable it's all made up they just over and over again make up stupid excuses so that they can bow to these globalist green energy tycoons that's right and they can set everybody else at a disadvantage if they actually cared about native americans they would want to help them. But the truth is, they don't care. When the, the New York Times building sits in Manhattan on Lenape tribal land. <laughs> when was the last time the New York Times paid anything to them? <laughs> right. They won't do a single thing. And then they just, you know, the New York Times. Here, let me just, I'll just say one thing as an aside. This is a newspaper that was racist against Jim Thorpe. One of the greatest athletes in American history. They they the the things they wrote about him were unspeakable. And you have this newspaper that's holier than thou that's telling us that we need to worship green energy. That's t- that's cheerleading Joe Biden as he takes money out of the pockets of Native Americans who are just trying to access American energy on their own lands. And he and it, it, the, the the hypocrisy is unbelievable. Let, let me just posit the theory in the Navajo Nation council is is the one that's sort of most aggrieved here let me just posit the uh, the theory that they care probably more about the well-being and financial resources of their community than they do about the names of sports teams yeah. right <laughs> right there you go Pol- polling has revealed that <laughs> polling has revealed like that. that's probably that, right actual native americans don't really care about what washington's football team is named right it's only coastal white liberals who care about that yeah well they're, they're trying to put food on the table and the only the only instance where they're not allowed to put food on a table is when it offends the sensibilities of the liberal elite on the west coast uh, that feels right 
the bad news here is all of these poor economic decisions has left it very clear to anybody. And we've been talking about this for months mm-hmm. that the downturn is coming economically. Yep. Right? And, and I, I've been pointing out so frequently is, yeah, we're, when you're in an inflationary environment, which I don't have to tell our audience you are in, everyone here has to buy groceries. Everyone here sees that everything is more expensive. When you're in this kind of environment, there is a very natural tendency for consumers to tighten the belt. Like, I'm going to buy less stuff, especially if it's like discretionary spending. You know, if, if, if it's money that you'd think about spending of maybe taking the family out on, on, on a vacation or taking them out for a meal or anything, everyone has to start tightening the belt because everything is more expensive. Well, what happens to those businesses that are counting on having customers? They don't get those customers because everything's more expensive. And what do they have to do? They have to start cutting staff. And now we're starting to see this a lot more. The layoffs uh, are, are now underway. I mean, you're sort of Nostradamus on this deal because you've been talking about it for absolute months. But listen to these headlines. Walmart to hire fewer workers for holiday shopping season, Wall Street Journal. Mm. Gap is laying off 500 corporate employees, mm. CNN. Layoffs, shutdowns hit mortgage industry as high rates crush lending. That's from Axios. Mm. Layoffs coming uh, to AM Law 100 as big law firm eliminates jobs, above the law.com. I mean, this is just like basically every industry. First of all, if you're laying off lawyers, it's real bad. <laughs> those dudes, those dudes are. There's they, a silver lining, I guess. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to get some emails about that. We're going to get some emails. We do have a lawyer or two who listens to the show. <laughs> Probably going to get some emails, but probably, you know, maybe not the ambulance chasers that are running around trying to trying to sue Ron DeSantis over sending a couple of people to Martha's Vineyard. So I don't know. We'll see. But look, another piece of economic news that just happened is the Fed. Huge, right? huge. You've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, I think we've got sound on this. Today, the FOMC raised its policy interest rate by three quarters of a percentage point. And we anticipate that ongoing increases will be appropriate. 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 So we had a lot of conversation leading into this. Smug said for months, this is going to happen. It's probably going to be larger than people think. Mm -hmm. And there was a a recent debate we may have had last week about whether it was going to be a half, three quarters, or a full point. Mm -hmm. I think they said something worse than even we would have imagined in that it's three quarters of a point and... We imagine that there will be more as appropriate. Yeah, more on the way. And and so this is, I mean, it's historic. This is the third consecutive uh, 75 basis point hike. And they are, they're faced with this horrible situation where this administration is, you know, like their, their 10,000 cash handout uh, uh, to, to the, all their voters. All this spending on their backdoor Green New Deal is just creating more inflation. And the Fed is like, what the hell's going on? Like, we're going to have to keep, like, doing something about this inflation. And the only action that they can take at the Federal Reserve is to keep hiking interest rates, which makes things difficult for so many Americans. Whether it's like you look at data of how many Americans are now starting to use credit cards to make ends meet, which is always just a horrible sign that, you know, very bad things are likely to come. Well, all those interest rates start going up. And, and when you raise it, you know, three quarters of a point at once for the third time in a row and say that more is on the way when this is this was unfathomable by the market, you know, months ago, especially when the Biden administration was trying to push this like lofty idea of like what inflation, you know, things are starting to look good, you know. And because of the unprecedented action that we took oh, in yeah. the Recovery Act that 
the economy will be robust That's the thing is, is by they, fall. They keep saying this is the greatest economic recovery in history. Folks, it, what does it feel like to you? Does this feel like the greatest economic recovery? Guess what? All your rates, if you have, if, if you were thinking about buying a house, I mean, look, looking at the numbers for what the um, median mortgage is going to cost Americans just over the past 12 months is nearly doubling because of the fact that interest rates, I mean, because it's compounded interest on compounded interest. Right. Housing is becoming more expensive. Food is becoming more expensive, and it's all a direct result of this administration, their policies. So, so when Jerome Powell says he's going to raise rates in a way that's appropriate, what people should hear is pain. Pain. It's. I mean, that's the thing. Well, and you know what's, what's funny is it, last week we dealt with the news that you know, despite the Inflation Reduction Act, a month later, inflation actually went up. Right, mm-hmm. and and, Who would have then, and then all of a sudden you had the markets crash as a result of that. And like for those of us who are like, we told you so. Our immediate Twitter response from lefty idiots saying like, the stock market is not the economy. Ba 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 ba. Okay, all right. Well, that's fine. How about the U.S. domestic product, the main measure of economic output, being revised down from a full point two from one point seven in June. Does that is is the GDP a measure of economic output? I mean, that's the thing. Is like, that what that? I mean, so well, it's not no, no, the no, stock no. market. It, maybe it's the GDP. It depends on whether it makes Democrats look good or look bad. <laughs> Let's be honest about this. If the GDP makes Democrats look bad, the newspapers are going to say it doesn't matter. I mean, consumers, according to this article that I'm reading here, this is from CNN, which you know, not exactly the bastion of of unbiased media. Uh, what they say is that the average consumer is spending around $460 more per month mm. on groceries than they were at this time last year. And that's according to Moody's. Wow. I, I mean, mean that's listen, a, that's a big number. That is a lot of I money. mean, that's that's the year two of the Biden administration, folks. Think what year three, year four is going to be like if he has a rubber stamp Senate and a rubber stamp House just enabling this. Yeah, it's 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 mind blowing how bad this ultimately is. To be honest with you, but it's it's gone far beyond where I think we thought this could end. Mm. In that they've been continuing to push these progressive policies, like the Inflation Reduction Act, that has put the Fed and everything else in this position of trying to figure out how to unfuck mm-hmm. a bunch of domestic economic policy. That has resulted in record inflation and low GDP, and they just they just blow it off. You listen to Karine Jean Pierre mm-hmm. <laughs> talk from the podium; she blows it off. You listen to her boss try to put two sentences together in an interview with Scott Pelley. He's like, "Oh, you know, inflation, just an inch, just an inch, just an inch, four hundred and sixty bucks a month." Is that an inch? That says must be his definition of an inch. That's a pretty big inch. And I've heard of people talking about things that inflate the size of an inch. (laughs) I'm just saying, that's a pretty inflated inch. Uh, All right, so let's just switch topics for a second because we have to like fuse a whole bunch of things that we do here on the Variety program. This headline caught my eye, which I thought was hysterical. This is according to CNBC. The Beyond Meat COO. So this is, you know, Beyond Meat, for those of you who don't follow that shit, I don't generally, but I'm aware of it. It's a, like a vegetarian meat product. Yeah, fake meat. Fake meat, right? This guy, Doug Ramsey. Hmm. Uh, anyway, he was a, <laughs> allegedly arrested for allegedly biting a man's nose at an Arkansas football game. What a hypocrite. <laughs> 
What a hypocrite. Pig suey, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is pig suey. But, I mean, this dude, apparently, Ramsey 53, was charged with terroristic threatening and third-degree battery and booked in a Washington County, Arkansas jail on Saturday evening. He was released Sunday, according to Washington County information page. Ramsey and Beyond Meat did not immediately respond to requests for comment from CNBC. That must have been a wild tailgate. <laughs> I, I, saw, I, I, saw, I saw a story on this. So he was apparently an executive at, it was like Tyson, like one of these like really large you know companies that are, are producing meat, and they brought him over to lend some credibility because I guess they've just started rolling out their like fake chicken product right so, so so you know they want restaurants to get on board with this and they're like okay this guy was a was an executive at these companies now we'll put him in a coo at beyond meat this guy will help is especially getting like restaurants and stuff on board with selling our yeah product. make it sort of legitimate and then, like what is he like six months into work and he just gets hammered at a tailgate and bites a dude's nose <laughs> I mean, like that's that's a tough situation listen to this though because i I have a picture in my head of what a Beyond Meat executive looks and sounds like. Yeah. This guy shattered my preconceptions. Yeah. All right. So listen, a local television station, uh, KNWA, Fox 24, uh, first reported on Ramsey's arrest. Ramsey allegedly punched through the back windshield of a Subaru. Ooh. That's his core customer, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Punched through the windshield of a Subaru <laughs> after it made contact with the front tire of Ramsey's car. The Subaru owner then got out of the car, and Ramsey allegedly started punching him and bit his nose, ripping the flesh from the tip of his nose, according to the report. I mean, that is, so wow. that is also, for, for the victim, that is so horrible because it's like okay like everyone's gonna see your nose right so this is i mean i don't know what kind of plastic surgeon you can get that's definitely gonna have to leave a mark right you get your nose bit off and people be like what happened you know well this executive got drunk and bit my nose what <laughs> the beyond me guy what? took the beyond me guy took a shot at my nose yeah. <laughs> i was just trying to make my way through this parking lot to go camp on a camping yeah. trip with these i was uh, driving my subaru yeah, yeah. You, you doing get, hippie shit you get, and this guy bit my fucking nose you, <laughs> you bump the guy's fender you reach into your glove box to pull out your insurance information so you get out and exchange and exchange contact info and the guy all of a sudden just goes ham <laughs> it's just it's the wildest move of like everything like i don't care what kind of rage has enveloped you and you're like in a fight life or death or whatever to go for a nose bite it's just like where does that come from yeah, like, typically like you know biting and hitting people in the junk are two things that are sort of off limits yeah, yeah. this guy goes right for it there's, so, there's but no honor in a nose bite it's, so. it's not even mike tyson did that i think it's sort of an indictment it's an indictment of their product though this this beyond meat because, i mean he's not beyond meat no he's not <laughs> It's not a ball beyond me. Yeah. <laughs> and chances are the owner of the Subaru was beyond me. <laughs> let's leave that there. Uh, let's do a quick political roundup. Before we get to that, uh oh. We already did our, our our nerd segment for the day, but I forgot to get to the audio of Kamala Harris talking about community banks. Did you guys hear what oh she said about gosh. community banks? Oh my gosh. You have that? I gotta hear. Let's hear it. So we invested an additional $12 billion into community banks because we know community banks are in the community and understand the needs and desires of that community as well as the talent and capacity of the community. 
What a <laughs> legend. So that's the purpose of a community bank. Excellent. Community banks are in the community? Did you know this? Oh. Breaking the news. more you know. It reminds me, a long time ago, as a Timberwolves fan, they had this guy, Trent Tucker, who was doing color commentary. Early years, like before Garnett made him big, right? Wow. Yeah. So it's like a pretty thin audience for these games. And Trent Tucker was... And he was like... You know, the free throws are one of the most important parts of the game because they're free. (laughs) (laughs) Community Uh, banks are in the community. Dude, you know what? It's so great that you mentioned that because you do get this sense that she's sort of like filling dead air. (laughs) She's like, they expect me to talk for 30 seconds here. I got to have a couple of more dependent clauses in this sentence. I mean, that's what I'm telling you. That's why I love Veep or Veep so much as a game because... It really is just like a Selena Kyle moment of they'll be like, you have 30 seconds, fill the air. <laughs> community <laughs> banks are in our communities. You know, you, like, know what what? It re- you know what it reminded me of? At no point in your rambling, incoherent response <laughs> were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we have that in the board still. No, that should be, we should, it probably needs to come out almost every episode. Yeah. Thank you for stopping us on that. That was quite worth it. So one thing that we have to get to is our sponsor for today. And you've heard a lot from him here in the last couple of months about seriously important stuff that affects us. Kevin McLaughlin, Common Sense Leadership Fund. Let's go. Well, I got to welcome back. I don't know if I'm happy about it or whatever, but I've got to, I've got to welcome back my good friend. (laughs) He is the head honcho over at the Common Sense Leadership Fund, which, as you know uh, from recent press, is a fairly big deal. Very powerful organization. It a is. powerful man. Kevin McLaughlin, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy being here. You're a lovely gentleman. Well, you know, I wish I could say the same, but either way, <laughs> I'm happy to have you, and we'd like Thank to discuss you. what we, because we're now invested in this. You are. And we have covered on three or four occasions... Um, your work, the work of your organization to try to point out what's going on with these tech bills. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Trying to rein in big tech. And what are the names of these things again? The two bills that I'm particularly concerned about are the American Innovation and Choice Online Act and the Open App Markets Act. Those are the two that really have a burn my saddle. So the last time we spoke, Mm -hmm. you felt like we were making progress. Yes, sir. And... I, I think you gave specific credit to the minions. I did. The minions actually, I think, did their work. I think that since they're, you know, they had a little bit of skin in the game. Yeah. They really spoke up, and I think there's been some pause. Another friend of the program, Ted Cruz, has done some work on other big tech bills. Another big tech bill is not involved in this, and really kind of raised the uh, the focal point that these bills are just shadow trying to silence conservatives. Yeah, got it. Like that's the whole thing is is the whole quote safety part that they they that the Dems snuck in which is essentially oh conservatives are having conversations online I feel unsafe. Correct. Yeah, so now you're gone. I feel unsafe all the time around smug as well. So I can I can understand <laughs> yes. why people do that. I I do too. But here's the minions have done great work and you know I think this these things have largely stalled um but the scary part about this and why I wanted to chat with you fellas today and beg the minions for more help is because, as you guys know, Chuck Schumer has said he's going to keep the Senate here in October. Yeah. They're going to be talking about the NDAA, but they're going to have other stuff they're going to need to do to fill the time while they talk about the NDAA. Which is what a, a sign of desperation. As an aside, <laughs> as an aside, 
Can you imagine a worse place? What I want to do is make sure that all of my endangered incumbents can't go back to their states and answer questions before their own re-elections. I have to have them come and talk about the national defense authorization bill, which we've been too lazy to do anything about because we've been trying to socialize the country for the last. <laughs> it's not exactly it's not exactly a vote of confidence from Chuck Schumer that they think they're going to hold the Senate. No, exactly, it sure it's is. Like, all right, we got we got to get all the crazy shit through before the election. It's a smashing grab, yeah. But Just, but I guess your point is is while they're here, there's real danger that they do stuff. They're going to need to do stuff. They need to fill the time somehow. As and they so, say, as they say, idle hands are the devils. It is is it is Playground. a a, uh, a solution in the search of a problem. That's as right. Well, and I mean, so if they do lose, as they don't have confidence in in November, which I'm assuming they will because of all the this the good work going on out there. The lame duck. Like, these guys don't care. They'll do whatever they want. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a really, really important, and, and it is a plea with you guys and the minions to stay on top of this. Don't let up. Don't let your foot off the gas. Because they can't get this done without Republicans, correct? They they could not get it done without Republicans, no. So that's, that's basically what we're talking about here. It's, it's like whether or not our people, under the guise of doing something to big tech, which there's a constituency for, correct. adopt this this liberal view that you have to actually censor what they feel unsafe and, and i think that's for. that's what the dems are counting on is they understand that everyone wants to rein in big tech which is what everyone wants but they've snuck in this part about safety just to get conservatives off the internet listen what senator cruz did is he put an amendment in just basically saying like you know you can't censor people okay yeah that's all it was and immediately when that passed Klobuchar pulled the bill. There you go. <laughs> exactly. She yeah, showed her hand. You know? So that's, so that's what, what happened. I mean, because we were talking about how it would sort of hit the rocks. But what hit the rocks was Cruz, who I, I think is a listener of the program, mm-hmm. but became very interested in the fact that they had this sort of poison pill in there that made conservatives vulnerable to a leftist argument that if you offend them, they're gone. Correct. Correct. So in this other piece of legislation, he offered the amendment to correct that. As soon as the amendment passed, Klobuchar pulled the bill and said, you know what, we got to regroup. That's so telling. That's so telling. There it is. That's the whole game. They don't don't care about actually doing something about big tech. They just want to get rid of us. Right. If if you're like me, if you're you're smug, if you're like me (laughs) and you don't get into the, the deep policy conversations in Washington... Um, there are three things you need to know. Number one, uh, the Arabella Advisors Liberal Dark Money Network supports mm-hmm. this bullshit. Number two, the mm-hmm. Biden administration sh- supports this bullshit. And number three, when Ted Cruz raised the point of not censoring conservatives, she pulled the bill. And if you know those three things and you're a conservative out there, how could you ever support anything? How like in this? the there world could you ever come to the conclusion this is something willing that you're willing to support? They're telling. Know. They're telling on themselves. Mm. It's yeah. not like Democrats ever bait and switch us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They may not be authoring the full truth here. There's a possibility. So, what? Look, you've been doing good work on this. Thank you, so I, have you guys. I couldn't I, do without you guys. In all honesty, this was something when you first came to us. I was unaware of. Right. I knew what they were trying to do and I knew it was sort of like butted up against their antitrust efforts and all of that stuff, which I'm I'm personally a little bit skeptical of. But then this particular language, which I think if you follow Washington long enough, you could figure out that they're gonna try to do right one way or another. But this would actually get Republicans on board with it, which right. is just yikes. Well, you've known me a long time. You know how critically I read legislation. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, you know, that's what I do. A really keen eye for reading comprehension scores off the charts, (laughs) off the charts. No, but I mean, look, you you highlighted this for us. Yes, I appreciate you guys uh, giving it the attention you have. So what do Um, we need to do? I just think they need to keep at it. I think minions need to keep at it. Like Republicans just need to stand firm here and not take a bad deal. That's just the thing with this. You know, obviously we all are are, are, like you said on the uh, the side of like reigning in big tech, but let's not let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Let's get a good bill when we have the majority. Uh, Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, we'll go at it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Kevin McLaughlin, thank you so much for the words of wisdom. We'll be following along. Keep us updated because we got to know if if this thing gets anywhere close. If it does get anywhere close, you got to come racing back here. I'll do it. Thanks, boys. You got it. See ya. Uh, So, you know, look, two weeks ago we talked about how all of these polls you should not feel horrible about because of the natural tendency of midterm elections and how the environment catches up to these ballot questions as we get into the month of September. Now, some of you may have been skeptical of that. Mm -hmm. I don't think you are anymore. Nope. Right? Because as we have seen this week, all of those Senate polls, which by the way, Democrats and the media have used exclusively as examples of how Democrats are on this big comeback, but how the environment is just fundamentally changed. Right. Eh, It's starting to slide a little bit on them, right? So this is according to ABC. Senate polls tighten as border crime grow as issues. Oh, it turns out people are actually focused on stuff that matters in their (laughs) community. Surprise, surprise. Fresh signs of the political climate shifting yet again ahead of the midterms. Races in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Nevada are are also showing signs of getting tighter with a range of Democrats forced onto the air playing defense on issues surrounding crime. The recent burst of Democratic opposition, uh, optimism, I should say, enough to shift conventional wisdom, there you go, Mm -hmm. about the prospects of holding the Senate appear to be dissipating. Mm. Oh, no. That's ABC News. That's ABC News. And and, and that's the thing is, and and I think, you know, especially, I I think I brought it up when we're uh, having our interview with Oz, is I think what ends up happening, and the media keeps forgetting about this, is you get to the fall and voters start looking around and it becomes a, a, a gut check of, okay, are the folks in charge doing a good job? Is my life better, you know, since they took over or worse since they took over? And, and, and I think Pennsylvania is a perfect example of where things have gotten significantly worse right. over the past two years. And they're like, okay, I can either vote for, for like, you know, uh, Shrek, who, who, who's got a lot of Shrek. medical problems, yeah. or I can vote for a, a, a damn open-heart surgeon. You know? Right. Like, th- th- I, I, I'm going to pick the responsible individual who's going to do something about crime. And change the direction for change crying it, out loud. Because things aren't working, and this administration and all these people in the Senate who've been a rubber stamp are not working. Right, and you've got unified control of Washington by the Democrats, right? So, like, this midterm will be a referendum on that fact. And, you know, despite how much the Democrats want to change the narrative and talk about oh, these MAGA Republicans are domestic terrorists and are going to destroy America if you give them power. They may try that as much as they can, but they can't deny gravity. I mean, like, it's just, it is what it is. You're in control. And as we talked about, normal people 
don't do the political right. Charlie Cook routine every right. week, right? They're taking their kids to baseball practice and football practice, right. and they're not TV, they're not DVRing Biden's you know speech about MAGA Republicans. Right, it's so just not. It just they don't give a shit about Letitia James and her lawsuit against Donald Trump. This isn't the Mueller report. It's not 2018. You've lost your mind, right? So what happens <laughs> is people start to associate their own economic condition, their safety condition, everything in their community with the ballot that's in front of them in a post-Labor Day environment. Right. And it doesn't really happen, if you look historically, until a post-Labor Day environment. Sure enough, enter an AJC, that's the Atlantic Journal-Constitution poll, about the uh, races in Georgia. Want to want to guess how those things look as compared to three weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Oh, do yeah. tell. Well, it turns out Herschel Walker is leading Raphael Warnock. Would you Let's look at that? 46-44, right? Brian Kemp, good friend of the program, eight points on Stacey Abrams, 50 to 42. Mm. God, I hope he runs up the score on her. I hate her so much. Oh, man. (laughs) The worst of the worst. The fact that she's got 42 is, I think, an offense. Well, you have to shoot for like a 20-point cushion because she's going to declare victory and show up. Right. (laughs) Right. This is my my mansion, right? But it's a a good point because the last time she lost an election, she said that it was stolen from her and that she didn't lose and she refused to concede. So I think you got to beat her by 10. You really do. <laughs> you you the, otherwise, who knows what she might do? Now, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is that a subsidiary of the Variety Program? <laughs> <laughs> it happens to be one of the most liberal publications regionally in this country. Hmm. You're kidding. And they're saying the Republicans are winning. Yeah, it's strange, right? Well, let's maybe take a look at Ohio and see what's happening. Oh, okay. You recall poll after poll for the last few months has shown Ryan, the Democratic Senate candidate, trouncing J.D. Vance as he's had like, you know, seven to one outside spending against him. Well, what's happening? Let's check in post Labor Day. Turns out J.D. Vance is winning 46 to 45. He's up. Mm. He's up. Like I I said, he's going to win this. Mm. It's interesting how that happened. Maybe it's an aberration of just like the South and the Midwest. Maybe let's check North Carolina. Okay. Remember, we've had tons of of polls showing Beasley beating Ted Budd, who's been on the program uh, throughout the summer. What's happening now? Well, Ted Budd's got a three-point advantage over Beasley in the most recent Emerson College polling CBS 17 survey released on Tuesday. And, and for my listeners in the great state of North Carolina, get out there, vote for Ted Budd. I mean, you see what's happening when we have a Democrat governor we need to make sure North Carolina is a red state top to bottom. Get out there and vote. Yeah, totally. And you also see Republicans on total offense here. Tiffany Smiley in Washington State mm-hmm. running just incredible ads. We, against and we Murray. told you. We told you the Variety program was on this early. Don't sleep. Don't, Don't sleep, sleep on, on these Senate races out there. Don't sleep on it. The, the one that caught my eye is a former staffer accusing Democrat Mike Frank, and he's the one that's running against the audacity to run against God made a Grassley in yeah. Iowa. And, uh, well, it turns out a former staffer accused a Democratic candidate of kissing her on the mouth without her permission in an incident report filed with the Des Moines Police Department. Yeah. So this My is not goodness. exactly like a... It's not an accusation. This is a police report. Yeah, when you show up in a police report, it means that like you're willing to put your... Uh, you know, your entire credibility on the line. So, I mean, keep an eye on that. This is key. So I want, I want to read this part. It says, The report filed in April by former staffer Kimberly uh, Bogus describes the alleged offense as misdemeanor assault. It was first reported Monday by a conservative website and friend of the program, 
Iowa Field Report. Thank oh, hell you so yeah. much. Yeah. Always love those folks. Yeah, you, they were you, sponsor of the program back in the day at the uh, Iowa State Fair. At the Iowa State Fair. Check out Iowa Field Report whenever you get a chance. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so we go to Wisconsin. Mandela Barnes removes two law enforcement endorsements. Mm. Oh, interesting. How does that... I thought this was a mainstream candidate. Democratic U.S. Senate candidate Mandela Barnes' campaign removed the names of two law enforcement officers from a list of endorsements, including one who did not, in fact, back Barnes. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> they found two cops in the entire state to back this bozo, and they're like, what? No, not me. <laughs> Do you remember... Do you remember during the uh, Democratic primary uh, in 2020 when Pete Buttigieg like sent an email out to a bunch of African-American leaders and said, you know, basically, we're going to put you up on the website as a supporter unless you respond and take your name off it. (laughs) Like people got the email or went to spam or they didn't respond. And Pete just put the thing up. It's just incredible. And they're all like, they're all like, "Mm, yeah. I, you know, we I, know what you've done in South Bend, right, Smash? <laughs> oh, yeah. Guy tore down more houses in black neighborhoods than any mayor in the history of the country. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, this is just such an amazing move of being like, you endorse me until you email me and demand to be taken yeah, down from yeah. my website. <laughs> what a play. <laughs> so let's, you know, maybe this is limited to five states. Let's go to the great state of Missouri, where mm-hmm. we've seen, we've heard a lot about how Democrats have a lot invested in this candidate, Valentine, Trudy, Trudy. Bush Valentine. She's, of course, a beer heiress, and so what can go mm-hmm. wrong, right? Well, exclusive polling shows that Republican Eric Schmidt is ahead of Democrat Trudy Bush Valentine for the US, open U.S. Senate seat in Missouri. A Survey USA poll has Schmidt defeating Valentine by an 11 point margin. Missouri telling Valentine to head for the mountains. (laughs) (laughs) And she she really is a beer? Is that the Bush family? That is one and the same. You know, this is why I'm a Coors drinker, man. You know it's going to, number one, Colorado, and you know it's going to a conservative family. I think they sold to the Germans, too, didn't they not? I think it's an InBev. Oh, shit. I'm pretty, (laughs) pretty sure they did. All right, so maybe it's six states. All right? It certainly, this, none of this stuff can go out west. Next up, Nevada. Hmm. The latest Emerson College polling, 8 News Now survey, finds that 42% of uh, voters support Adam Laxall for U.S. Senate. 41% for Catherine Cortez Masto. 41%, for those of you counting at home, is not anywhere near 50. <laughs> and she is the incumbent. And by the way, Emerson College polling is not a subsidiary of comfortably smug Twitter account. <laughs> and I mean, I think th- that's such a key point is you have an incumbent Dem, right, at 41%. Voters are looking for a change. I mean, this is across the board. We've now gone basically east to west, you know, from Herschel to Laxalt, from coast to coast. Yeah, I mean, for, coast to coast. For our listeners who maybe are new to politics or don't follow this as closely as, as we do, if you are an incumbent, a known quantity, someone who's run millions of dollars of ads making an argument for your candidacy. People should know you. You've been there for six years at least. Yep. To be at 41 mm. in the middle of September means there's a lot of people out there who aren't going to give you a shot. Mm-mm. They're not going to give you a shot. They think, oh, well, I'm at 41. I'm just going to need like nine, 9% more votes. No, you're not getting And that. that's the thing. They already gave him a shot. Right. She had her chance. Right. The backdrop to all of this, by the way, is Democrats spending the entire summer like nine to one-ing Republicans on air with attack ads. Mm-hmm. 
right? But like, it's only been a parody for a couple of weeks. Right. And all these polls that were the bellwether of how all of a sudden the national environment has shifted have snapped right back and, and they and, look exactly like they did last week. And break. I don't want to bring it up, but I should bring it up. I remember a few weeks back, conservatives tried thinking maybe we should get back into a circular firing squad. Everybody's nervous. We told you, stay calm, full speed ahead. The red wave is happening as long as we're working to make it happen, and here we are. There it is. There it is. Don't take the bait. Eyes on the prize. Follow Smug's advice, because it's something we're doing, not something that's happening. Bingo. Right, my man? Bingo. I love it. All right, so, gentlemen, I think we ought to play a game. Let's do it. Let's play a game. Well, it is Thursday in the Ruthless Variety program, and that can mean only one thing. King of the Hill. <laughs> uh, so, Holmes, who do you have? I'm going to go with Steve Schmidt. Ooh. Wow. I try to avoid uh, most contenders in this game on Twitter. So I'm not, you know, seeing these tweets before. You don't want to be a biased observer? It's sort of hard to ignore the craziness that he's got going on. And then Smug, who do you have, our our champion? Sherry Jacobus. Ooh. The one and only. A lot of crazy there. This should be a very interesting matchup. I think we should go ringside. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill in the red corner, fighting from a spacious lanai in Utah, the old fat man, Steve Schmidt. And now, in the blue corner, Fighting out of her own crazy Twitter account and current champion of the world, Kami Cherry Jacobus. This <laughs> is so good. I like the Lanai edition. That was really nice. It was. It was. So really he put his back into the old fat man. He did. He did. He really did. A lot of emphasis on that one. So for our new listeners, King of the Hill is a game that we play most Thursdays, if we can, which is, um, you know, Smug and Holmes are competitors here, Mm -hmm. and they select a person, a a never-Trump, former conservative who've lost their mind and become a liberal. Correct. And they both read three tweets. There's three rounds to this game. They read a tweet. I'm judge and jury. I decide who wins round by round. Uh, so as our defending champion, mm-hmm. Smug, you have to go first. So this is this is just an all-timer. This is a barnstormer. This tweet from Sherry is not only a reply to that Asha Rangappa, who's like basically the worked at worked at the FBI for like three months and and has made a career off of positing that Trump is like a KGB agent. I mean, we all know her, always having terrible opinions online. But Sherry's replying to her. And says, uh, uh, Asha's wondering, like, I keep thinking about why Trump keeps bringing up declassification. And this is Sherry's take. Oh, God, it's going to get wild. (laughs) Because if Trump sold our national secrets to Putin, Saudis, et al., it's treason. And he wants to be able to eventually claim they were no longer, quote, secrets because he declassified them. And therefore, it can't be treason. So this was such expert law advice. Not only did she reply with this, she retweeted herself. I present to the jury. Wow. This is like on top of the brainworm take. Wow. Misuse of internet. She used the misuse right off the bat. 
I do love I, I do love how they invent a scenario that is happening and then prognosticate the reason why it might have happened and then retweet and then, themselves. And, and then noted legal scholar like, Sherry Jacobus being like, so this is how you stop the treason. That is such incredible <laughs> that is such incredible confidence. I wish we could all live our lives with <laughs> And it got six hundred and eighty seven retweets. Oh, I mean no! this is the thing. It's no! like the it's brain solid. worms are spreading. <laughs> it's solid. Um, 687, is that what you're It's a contagion of brain worms. Wow. Okay, well, I'm going to have to go with good stuff to beat that. Okay. I'm going to go with good stuff. I'm going to say something. You know it's good, right? When somebody starts with that, when Steve starts with it, I'm going to say something. Yeah. Like, obviously, he's going to say something because he's tweeting it. Right. But if you have to say you're going to say something, you know what's coming. Yeah. You know something. Automatic banger. Yeah. I'm going to say something. There's no hyperbole attached to it. Oh, my God. I mean it. <laughs> Every word. Period. Anyone who thinks Ron DeSantis wouldn't kill his political opponents <laughs> given the chance to oh doesn't understand who he is. He disproved it. The refusal to see that as stupid is recklessly stupid. <laughs> and, just, and just in case you're counting, 6,761 retweets. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Ron DeSantis would kill his political opponents. That's his take. I'm just going to say something there's no hyperbole attached to it. None. Not a single iota. I mean it. Every word. Anyone who thinks that Ron DeSantis wouldn't kill his political opponents given the chance doesn't understand who he is. Wow. This is Lincoln Project, Steve (laughs) Schmidt. I've got a free idea for for Steve Schmidt. He could rebrand the Lincoln Project as... DeSantis would have killed Lincoln Project. <laughs> the Booth Project. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Smug, you can't compete with that. I can't, dude. Holmes wins round one. <laughs> It was over before the booth party yeah. rolled up. <laughs> I gotta, oh, that dude. was a real coup de grace there at the end there, Holmes. <laughs> All right. So I go I go now, right? Yeah. He had a thing for Ron this week. Oh, God. I mean, a real thing. A real thing. People come together and repudiate DeSantis's malicious cruelty and help abused people in need. DeSantis is a canker on the soul of his country. Voting is the penicillin necessary to rid ourselves of the Tallahassee infection. Vote him out. He's a malicious man and an American. <laughs> All right, that's week. I absolutely got this. So, 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 so this is NBC News tweets out, Republicans need to pick up at least five House seats or five seats to take back the House in the midterm elections. This is Sherry Jacobus's take on it. So, I mean, okay, Republicans got to take five seats. What could what what could this take be? Sherry Jacobus, fight slash vote like hell to make sure it doesn't happen, but be prepared and not caught flat-footed in case it does. Ours will make Trump speaker. Then MAGA terrorists will quote take care of those two heartbeats standing in the way of him ascending the POTUS. <laughs> no, New AG stops all investigations. <laughs> Holy shit. What? What? She's, 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 wait, she's saying, she's saying Trump's going to off 
it, it's going to be just like the, the end of The Godfather, you know? You got a clean house. <laughs> <laughs> it's just incredible. Fucking How does she still have a Twitter account? <laughs> how, how, is so, how is someone not intervened? How is That's someone not is, intervened? Is you got to have like loved ones in your life, friends, family, someone who's like, put the phone down. Dude. Put it down. Let's have a talk. Let's find help. But no. No, Sherry is all in. NBC News, like, it's the most, like, innocuous tweet of being like, Publix right. need five seats just for a boilerplate tweet. She just comes in just like <laughs> Leroy Jenkins. Trump's going to kill everybody on race speaker. Well, S- Steve Schmitz, uh, I, what I love about Steve Schmitz tweets is how overwrought they are. Oh, totally. They're so dramatic. Yeah. You know, and I really appreciated Ashbrook coming in with the West Wing music. <laughs> yeah. That was great. And if you're a new listener to the Variety program, you're going to hear that quite a lot. <laughs> Um, but it just can't compete with that Sherry Jacobus Again, tweet. I, I, I feel like you did la- in the first round. I heard the offing part, and I was like, fuck. <laughs> I can't compete with the offing. Well, that's the interesting strategy of this game. You guys have sort of played off each other to try to like save your bangers. You did it in round one. He did it in round two. And that brings us to the best round, round three. <laughs> Let's go. And this is for everything. And, and you know what? I really want to, uh, especially for our new listeners, understand what Sherry Jacobus is about. She's got a lot of a lot of problems, a lot of, of you know, brain worms. But she has a hobby horse, and that's Merrick Garland. And I want to make sure oh, yeah, we, we bring Merrick Garland in on this one. She's never gone a week without mentioning poor Merrick. So here it is. It says, Trump needs to be made more fearful of the death penalty <laughs> than he is a Putin or <laughs> He has the rallies and incites violence to taint the jury pool. Like, that's the purpose. To taint the jury pool as his strongest weapon against Garland. Parentheses, if you assume Garland is for reals. (laughs) Number one, Trump's got to be made fearful of the death penalty. And he's holding rallies to taint the jury pool. If you think Garland's for real. (laughs) layers (laughs) layers it's just a lasagna of insanity oh Holmes I do not envy your position right now (sighs) well you know what I have to rely on is I have to rely on the vernacular of Steve okay right the poetry that he writes you're a good salesman of it I mean I feel like there's nothing that says pure brain worms in the former right now leftist like faux intellectualism. Yeah. And this guy's captain of that team. Yes. Right? He's talking about the Senate candidates, of which I think we've been, you've probably heard all of them, almost all of them here on the program, so you, you can contextualize them with that. American democracy is under threat from an extremist movement that like Medusa's head the serpents, whether kleptocratic fascists oh my God. or theocratic fascists, are rooted in the same place. It's hostile to black people, religious minorities, gays, and women. It's incredible. <laughs> God, it is an incredible tweet. In any normal matchup, it would be a banger and a winner. But how can it possibly compete with the brainworm queen? Sherry Jacobus. Smug, you have won round three. Outstanding. 
I don't, we might have to outlaw her. <laughs> we might have to find out like where she lives and, and, and lead an intervention it, it, ourselves. It, it's getting super close to the point where it goes from game to like well-being. Like, <laughs> are we now culpable? Is we need a welfare. She she's like, I got to go harder. We, I got to win the championship. <laughs> if you know Sherry, someone please do a welfare check. Please. I can't even. I, I almost conceded before I even read the tweet. I was like, God bless it. Yeah. Because I thought I had a real banger. There. It is a banger. Yeah. It's a great tweet. And, oh, that's just that's just not going to compete with no. the death penalty thing. Yeah. Um, all right. Congrats, Smug. Uh, we ought to move on to now what is a actually substantive interview that we were pleased to invite and enjoy Dr. Oz in the studio for... I think you'll enjoy. I want to welcome to the program somebody that we've, obviously we've had him on before, but we've been following everything in this race because it's one of the most important. Dr. Oz, welcome to the studio. Welcome to Ruthless. Thank you, Josh. I'm surprised I got in here. The, the, the gauntlet of security. It's, it's, it's it. But it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable experience to run for politics for those of you listening who have not done it yet. It's yeah. something that they, <laughs> Is it highly recommended? <laughs> oh, I would definitely do it. It's a thrill, uh, but it's like letting a dumpster fire in someone's house every day and knowing they're going to do the same back to you. It, it, uh, it, sometimes it's like fifth grade and yeah. uh, generally it's incredibly insightful about human nature, about how people make decisions. And in my race in particular, which I'm, I know they'll write books about, it's a, a lot of bizarre turns. No kidding. I mean, no kidding. It, it, listen, last time we talked to you it was pre-primary. You were sort of getting the hang of this thing. You'd obviously never been a politician before. You'd been in the public spotlight for a long time. But you were sort of building blocks, right, to get to a point where ultimately you now find yourself, which is September within striking distance of winning a general election, holding a Republican majority in the Senate, and hopefully being able to do good things beyond that. There was a Trafalgar poll that came out last week that showed now you're inching in within two points. Yeah. I think we're going to win this election because voters are focused on kitchen table issues. Yeah. And this is probably the biggest lesson for me. Don't get distracted. There's a lot of mudslinging. There's a lot of mudding of the water for that reason. So it gets opaque. You can't quite tell exactly what they're trying to do, and they probably feel the same about me. But the voters are very clear on what they need. And mm -hmm. it's about them, and it should be about them. You know, and they're sitting at the kitchen table and they're realizing in Pennsylvania, for example, that they're spending $650 extra per month because of inflation. Uh, and they're upset about it. How do you tell them that you can help with that problem, give them confidence and hope that you can actually address it? Uh, when they're worried about crime, which is the highest murder rate ever in Philadelphia's history was last year and will beat it this year, uh, that's a good reason to get on that issue and talk to them about what's gone wrong with radical left policies that have led to these problems. And by the way, many of them espoused by my opponents. I was just going to say, if there's ever a better contrast, it's on that issue right there. Because, I mean, this guy essentially wants to empty the prisons. Well, he's the most pro-murderer candidate in America. <laughs> so, and I mean, so, I mean that's, a, a, that's a factual statement. This is someone yeah. who has multiple times recommended folks who have committed murder be released. Multiple times. And if you get into the details of the cases, they're, they're reprehensible. There's a gentleman, I'll just go just as an example. There's a gentleman who murdered his girlfriend's mother with scissors. Jeez. A violent mm. act. Obviously, it's first-degree murder. The, ju the jury finds him guilty. That's how our American system works. The judge sentences him to life in prison. In prison, he learned yoga. <laughs> I do yoga, right? And Fetterman said it doesn't square with him that someone who does yoga and studying horticulture could have done this. Come on. So he wanted to release him. 
Come now, on. the Wait, current it's just like the act of yoga was <laughs> yoga such a, a jail <laughs> mitigating circumstance. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, how could someone who doing yoga really have done this thing? Oh so, meanwhile, of course, the the attorney general Josh Shapiro, who's running for governor now, says there's no way he's getting out. And they have several cases like this. This is an ongoing issue where Fetterman says, I'm gonna come after you, I'm gonna primary you as in the governor's race, because I'm so big and powerful, if you don't let these guys go free. And the average person in Pennsylvania had no idea this was happening. What now they're, of deal. course, being informed about this, and it's very alarming to them, because he, Fetterman, continually uh, has empathy for the criminal over the innocent. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to release, he has two people on his staff now who are convicted murderers, again, in life of prison, uh, who, again, he cares on more staff? about- On staff. On staff. I mean- Really putting his money where his mouth is and I, and I, <laughs> I think your campaign staff should be reflective of the population of your commonwealth, in my case, my state. And this is just not what we're witnessing. And he doesn't really have good ideas that explain it either. He likes to tweet things out. And in 140 characters, you can see some pretty cool things that sound rational on first glance, but they don't result in success. It's like bumper sticker type stuff, right? Bum, bum, bumper right. sticker candidacy. And uh, I was in Kensington this week, which is, that's where Rocky did his running, right? And yeah. you know, it used to be a reasonable part I of Philadelphia. I saw this, I saw a video of you down there. That was incredible. Well, the Democrats don't go to Kensington, which is the largest open air drug market in America. Why don't they go? Because they're ashamed mm. of it. Their policies, which are Fetterman's policies, open border, which lets fentanyl in as much as you want, uh, legalization of all drugs, which he wants, heroin injection sites, right? That if you do those things, you end up with Kensington. Right. You enable people to put their life at risk every day because of their addiction, and you feel good about it because you have virtue signal that you care about caring. And mm -hmm. I argued when I was down there that as a surgeon, I care about fixing, yeah. right? You don't want your doctor coming in there and you know telling you how you know nice a person your mother was, <laughs> right? right. And we, you know, we wish we could have done more for her, but I really cared about her as she took her last gasps of breath. Mm -hmm. No, you want to save the lady's life, mm -hmm. you know, do your job. And we have to have political leaders who are willing to make the brave decisions. In the case of addiction, the right thing to do is to take a person who's every day trying to kill themselves off the streets, put them in detox, get them in the rehab, fund it, but push for it and squeeze people into those. Otherwise, you end up with homeless uh, environments where there's lots of drugs and the local homeowners can't go home. Yeah. Shops sh shut down, the tax base evaporates, and everyone looks around and wonders what happened. It's not rocket science. Right. right. Exactly. No, I, I think I actually read about, was this a stop where at the end of it, you actually had multiple people who came up to you and said that they were suffering from addiction want help and you got them into treatment? Is that? Is yes, that yeah. The, the, this, this part was completely spontaneous, but you know, drug addicts watch television. So they had seen my show. Mm -hmm. So they knew I was a doctor and I've done a lot of work around addiction. So a couple came up and one woman, her name, Jessica's her name, she said, uh, last week I died. Last week I overdosed. Cause you know, the fentanyl in the drugs that they yeah. sell on the streets are, are you know, have no idea what the dosing is. Yeah. We use fentanyl to put patients to sleep for heart surgery. Right. It's a really powerful drug. So she died, they gave her Narcan, saved her life and she realized she was at the end. Mm. And you see the exhaustion in their eyes. The divine spark starts to go out. They just want someone to do something. Mm -hmm. And your job, if you really care about humanity, be, is be the safety net for each other. And so, yeah, I, I've been down the Kensington multiple times. I gathered a bunch of addicts who re had come to the end and took them to a facility that uh, that puts them in the detox. That's how you save lives. Yeah. It's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It's not sexy. Right, I'm not letting people do what they want to do. I'm not being, you know, freewheeling with other people's money or destroying a neighborhood right. by being weak on basic decisions. But as I have often told my friends, and my mom has Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. if she was walking across the street 
right out of his, outside the studio here and a car was about to hit her, I would expect, I would hope each of you would take yeah. a chance and get her off the street. Now, strictly speaking, you've arrested her. You've stopped her from doing what she wanted to do. It was still the right thing to do. And our family values should make us brave enough to do the right thing, even though we might get some harsh articles written about us in the press for interfering with people's free will. Ah, it's just well, so well said. And that's the thing about being a doctor is you have to make tough decisions and tell people the truth. And being a politician, you, want, you tell people what they want to hear. Yeah. You think they take liberties? <laughs> I don't know. Has that been hard for you? It's, it's just such a different profession than being a doctor. Uh, it's polar opposites, except I'll tell you, it's very similar to surgery, but it's just bloodier. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, you, you learn early on that you do have to actually say the truth. Yeah. Because people hold you accountable for it. You might focus on different things in different places, but uh, you better be very clear who you are. And I think a lot of campaigns are destroyed early on because you haven't done that deep soul searching. Mm. Uh, I'm actually very impressed by the people that I meet in this space. They're, you know, these, in, in my case, I, I had a pretty good life. I was you know, enjoying myself and aware of some of the problems and vocal about some of them. But when COVID hit, I began to appreciate the impact of an overarching government that was willing to do whatever it thought it needed to do to trample your civil liberties, yeah. uh, but also dictate what needed to happen and not give you any opportunity to question it. And when you censor people, which is what happened during COVID, you didn't let doctors tell their you know, their insights about what was going on, mm -hmm. they get angry. When you undermine people's confidence in the process. Because yeah, you are undermining it. Right. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. the process is undermining. Yeah. And then I remember fighting for schools and keeping them open because there wasn't any evidence that closing schools where little kids are definitely benefited would make a society safer. And we have data on that across the world now. And it's we're going to be feeling the ramifications of what we did to these kids for years. I hope you're still getting that out on the trail. Are people still talking about this? Not as much, but they still bring it up because it's an example of how people, leaders, were cowards. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was and when I was talking about this early on, I, I wasn't making it up. I, there was published papers showing that in models it right. didn't help. You looked at the European schools. They were all open. Don't they love their kids? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they were doing what they thought was best for their families. We just didn't have the ability to talk about it because the teachers union controlled all the lever oh. arms of the decision making yeah. process in states like Pennsylvania. So look at the outcomes of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, which are copycatted each other. The worst in the country by far. Yeah. yeah. And you compare them to the southern states where governors who had a little, a little bit more freedom about the union issues were able to do the the right thing scientifically it's it, you know, not rocket science they right. did much better and yet you if you bring it up you're censored and that's really what got me the fact that that you were not allowed to speak what you knew to be in your heart the, the truth and then you censor scientists which is why i wanted fauci fired yeah because you know he when he did that and he, he led that charge in many ways and worked with with legacy media to shut down dissent that's not what we do in america you know the thing that worried me a lot especially was i had corporate america tech companies, media companies, and the government working together. Yeah, everybody. I mean, totalitarian governments use those same art mechanisms, and I wasn't gonna tolerate it. And if it was just COVID, it would be one thing, but mm. the same thing happened in energy policy, which for me is a big deal, because Pennsylvania's an energy state. My goodness, the Green New Deal is a lie. Mm -hmm. There's not a single scientist you'll find who thinks that's achievable, and to do it, you by the way, then timeline offered is impossible, but you also have to sell yourself to China. Yep, There's yep. no way to do this. And that's what's happening. Yeah, exactly. And I think, well, that doesn't make us any safer. If you really want to make us, uh, our environment healthier, use natural gas, mm -hmm. which we have done and dramatically reduced our carbon footprint. You can't say it. And I go, out, I go to the energy company and say, guys, where are you? Stick up for yourselves. 
Don't let someone else do it for you. Stop funding campaigns. You personally go out and do it. Mm-hmm. Because right now, my opponent, John Fetterman, says he wants to weaponize law enforcement to go after the executives of energy companies, arguing that these guys are gouging us. I said, could you understand that the prices of energy went up because you stopped drilling. Mm-hmm. You've intimidated companies to not building pipelines. You tell them that if they try to do anything that, that allows energy to be transported, you're going to have some activist lawyer get in their face and shut it down after hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. You know, Make noise. Stick yeah. up for yourself. I think it might be the case that a guy who lived in his parents' basement until he was 50, <laughs> year old, 50 years old oh. may not have the best handle on markets. Yeah, yeah. Just, speaking, speaking, speaking of cowards who don't tell the truth, as you mentioned, <laughs> earlier the guy got a what a house from his sister for a dollar one dollar right um, one american he, dollar he had he attacked you for months about being successful and owning multiple properties and then it turns out this guy like owns a bunch of properties <laughs> and he can send really fancy tweets from you know that his zoomer twitter manager <laughs> sends but the guy's clearly a liar i mean how do you react to that He's running personal attacks on me because that's the best he's got. And I attack him on policies because he said things that are so reprehensible, you cannot help but look up at the screen when you start hearing him try to defend himself. And as an example, and I'll just, you know, there's this issue of taxes, right? So he's raised taxes. He wants to raise more taxes. He's supported the Biden tax raise. And yet he has not paid his own taxes 67 <laughs> times. Yeah. Now, you can't make this up. Do any of you have any tax liens, by the way? I'm curious. I certainly know. No. Not I mean, currently. I, I, no. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know. The, you know What the heck is this? Pay your taxes. Are you kidding me? Whatever the rules are, you know, just try to follow them. This guy thinks he's above the law, above other people. His behavior continually puts him in, in a whole separate class. It doesn't bother him. And when he's asked about it, he said it slipped through the cracks. 67 times. Yeah. I mean, what else is going to slip through the cracks? <laughs> a lot of cracks exactly and there's no defense there's no you know acknowledgement that he's had other things in his life he's done and multiple uh transactions transgressions where he's done things and he's not really held accountable to him but he's been lying most recently about his health Mm-hmm. And as a physician, I have tremendous empathy for him because he's going through a very difficult time. He has heart failure and irregular heartbeats and the stroke that, oh, that he says almost killed him. But he's not really been transparent about any of this. And he kept arguing that he's healthy and uh, he just doesn't want to debate. So that if that's the case, you don't want to debate because you don't want to defend these radical far-left ideas. However, however, if you're sick and you can't debate, then you're a liar because mm-hmm. you've been saying that you're okay. And he he's, should have disclosed this condition, and, and for years apparently he's refused to follow his doctor's orders and take medication that's been prescribed to him for years, and he's lied about this as an elected official. And when he got sick right before the primary, they didn't disclose that uh, in the timeline fashion they're supposed to. He's also lieutenant governor, so yeah, you're exactly. actually obliged he, to do He needs this. to tell the people. Well, it's just profoundly irresponsible. And you know, for a candidate to basically try to stiff arm these debates until thousands and thousands of people have already voted, I don't know how that's a election. It's completely dishonest. Like you, you spoke about being accountable to the voters. Well, if they're voting and you refuse to get on that stage and have a debate about who you are and what you stand for, I mean, how can you be a candidate for office? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, I think that's the point you're making, right? But the, uh, let me broaden it more. It's it's not just about Fetterman, and I do a hundred percent 
uh, feel the frustration of, of insulted voters in Pennsylvania that they're not allowed to hear this man respond to questions. By the way, it's not just debate questions. He doesn't answer questions on, uh, from, from, from press. Yeah. Doesn't answer questions from voters. When he goes out in the campaign trail, he'll speak for five minutes. Mm-hmm. He rarely goes out. You know, it's like once a week. He'll go out, speak for five minutes, takes no questions and runs away. Mm-hmm. So what does that say about democracy? Yeah. Broaden it here. What if you can get someone elected who never had to answer a question for what they have said in their past ever and you can manufacture them like max headroom right you know it's hologram (laughs) right that you create a a, a, a vision right that a voter might want to have if they were a democratic uh, candidate and now because you don't have to go out and make mistakes because you don't get asked questions you stay pristine the whole time it's a fascinating challenge to democracy it's like a half step more than what they did with joe biden yes but it's a but it's a full step towards what i think would be catastrophic was if Somehow he pulls this out, and I'm doing everything I can to make sure we win. But if he pulls this out, you will not see Democratic candidates campaign anymore. Why would you waste money going out, take risks going out, when you can actually spend all your money running ads, con the, the, the average person in Pennsylvania thinks this guy's moderate, because they've been running ads saying he's moderate. So if they look a little deeper, they'll see the truth, but it's hard. You're being told continually that this cereal box of a candidate right. is, a, is, a, is superb. There, well, you know, all right, I'll go with that. There is no candidate in the country where their public perception pushed by the media is more disparate from who they actually are as a politician. It's absolutely fascinating. This guy, but I mean, just the way he presents, I just can't, the thing that I can't- You don't the basketball shorts. The, oh, you I hate, hate the basketball oh, shorts. I, just, I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so much. Maybe it's just like I'm super old school where I feel like you elect people to the United States Senate. Dress for the job you want. Who are six, who have the capability of <laughs> being successful. They've demonstrated success. They can lift other people up. They care about their community. Like a dude stumbling around outside in a hoodie in gym shorts. To meet the president. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah. That's when Joe Biden was visiting. And, and that's the thing is it, it doesn't say to anybody that oh you know i'm 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 the working joe i'm the average guy no it, it shows that you don't have respect for anybody you're, you that's know, my you're, that's what i'm saying you're right. supposed to be the people's servant so when you show up to work you should have respect you know for these people and and he he's, he's basically i mean the comparison to joe biden i think is perfect is we've seen an example of what happens when someone hides right and what we've ended up with a disaster and so this is a guy who's trying the same playbook because he, he, he needs to run a campaign of distraction, which is what he's doing. He can't, like you described, the towns in Pennsylvania are suffering. You've got open-air drug markets. He can't run on, this is what my party has done. Right. And I have done. And I've done. It's yeah. his idea. As he's lieutenant, lieutenant governor. governor. Yeah. I, I want to push back on the costume a little bit because it's an interesting phenomenon. I was stunned by it as well. <laughs> but it turns out that if you're a far-left radical with the belief that this country is irredeemably stained... You just want to break it apart. Just mm. bust America, yeah. crack it to its base, break it asunder, and rebuild it with your toxic ideology. That's what he stands for. Mm. When he dresses like that, it's not an accident. He's kicking authority in the balls. Yeah, he say, "Hey, I'm the man. I'm gonna. I'll show those guys who's who's boss. I'm gonna not allow any traditional path." to succeed because by breaking some parts of it down I can represent I can break it all down that's the deeper message he's delivering to get his first speech back you know remember he hasn't spoken to anybody for months right months first speech back his main point is that he wants to bust the filibuster like that's his main goal that's what yeah that's what and he he wants to pack the supreme court and bring in more states I mean these are Please, just like, can you just fix Pennsylvania first? <laughs> right. 
I mean, we got some issues here we got to deal with. And this is the kind of narrative that he's out there touting and everyone's looking around, yeah, it sounds really big. And But that's, it's cowardly because you're thinking, arguing arrogantly that you can fix America. You can't even fix your own life. Yeah. You can't even get out of the bedroom. And it's much harder to fix yourself than the city you live in. Mm. Just deal with your own stuff. I mean, he's got a tattoo on his arm, on his right arm, the one that what you would see when you shake his hands, that used to say, I will make you hurt. <laughs> All right? That's a hell of a now, message. I'll tell you why I noticed it, because he, he had it blacked out. Now it's just a black bar on his arm. So again, as you shake his hands, that's what you would have seen. What is that about? I think it was like a mission what is statement, that? and he kind of accomplished it as lieutenant government. Yeah, this is continue, continuing to fulfill his goals. <laughs> but so you see these kinds of behaviors, and you start to dig into it. And he's done some other things, you know, that, again, unlawful acts, it seems, that he doesn't apologize for. And everyone's sort of looking at him and saying, you know, either he's got some incredible gift for changing America, or he's completely out of line with what's expected. I mean, if you're sitting back and looking at that dude who can't can't speak to you, is wearing gym shorts and a hoodie, and has a record off the left hand side of the charts, and you're like, yeah, that's my guy. I still can't I believe. Mean, what? I still can't believe that the Democrats in Pennsylvania had a choice in this primary, <laughs> and they mean? chose Fetterman. It's just wild. They did, they they're apoplectic. You know, the the party was one vote away, one lousy vote away from endorsing. Connor Lamb. Yeah, they just couldn't get it over the finish line. <laughs> now they're stuck. And when it, there was, it was happening. You're watching a train wreck occur if you're a Democrat because you don't want this yeah. guy doesn't speak. De- Pennsylvania Democrats are conservative. There are more NRA members who are Democrats than Republicans in That's Pennsylvania. Right. Wow. There are many parts of the area, the Wilkes-Barre, Scranton area. Yeah, Luzerne example, County. Luzerne yep. County. These are conservative Democrats. They identify by their archdiocese, right? Yeah, they're right. You know, they're very thoughtful, faith-based communities. They're culturally Democrats, but they're Democrats that don't see themselves in the Democratic Party anymore. Joe, Joe Biden was from up there. They'll vote with us. They will vote for me. Yeah. We're already seeing it in our polls. It's one of the reasons the polls have closed so much. Independents are preferable to me. But he's confused and muddied the landscape. And of course, the super PAC of the Democratic Party called the liberal media is yeah. very yeah. willing to aid and abet and cover up. Exactly. I mean, why, why am I even talking about John Fetterman's health? If I was sick... I would have had to disclose all my records. Oh my gosh. I'd be doing multiple debates from my hospital bed. You would be. Right? You know, I'd be, I'd have to do everything. I'd have no choice. And it took a lot to get people just to even focus on the fact they were being duped. Yeah. And I highlight again the reality. Forget about answering my questions. He has to answer voters' questions. How about the press? The gaggle that I did with press on Monday in Kensington. Right? I'm trying to talk about drugs and murders in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia in particular. And they're asking me all kinds of hard questions about the usual things they want to ask about. You know, uh, topics that we don't, as, as Republicans, get much hay on. So I'm defending and fending off the different questions and trying to get back to my topic of crime and drugs, illegal drugs. Um, and I, if I'm, I stopped, at one point I stopped at the, 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 the press conference. I said, guys, you understand that what I'm doing, Fetterman has never done. Like mm-hmm. I do this every week. Right. He's never done this. Right. I mean, what other questions you want to ask me that I might have trouble answering that I can answer? Then you can you can't get the simplest question mm. into his yeah. uh, into his ears that he would be able to answer. And it's shameful that I have to make that point. It is because it's partisan when I make it. You should make it as objective protectors of America. I actually believe strongly in the importance of the First Amendment. I was in media like you are here. I think having a, you know strong media on both left and right makes our country better. I want tough questions from the press. Don't let me get away with stuff. Mm-hmm. He should have to do the same. Why would you not want that if you were in the press? What would make you think 
that it wasn't the right thing for us as a nation to hear both sides defend their ideas. Perhaps they have an agenda. <laughs> I don't know. Please, you're so cynical. I don't know. I don't know, but it, you know, in this case, uh, maybe, right? He's got a he's got a truckload of people that he's literally taking to treatment. Yeah, and they're like, so let's hear more about abortion. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah, like right. I mean, you can't make it up. Meanwhile, this guy's basically filming 15 second YouTube ads, and like that's the extent of his public media appearances. Well, he doesn't worry about the the drugs and the crime until you're a murderer in prison and then he wants What's to let he you, out. you out. Yeah yeah, 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 that's how that's his his intervention, his treatment. And expunge that voting record too. We got to make sure they get back in the ballot box too. No question. Well, but this is a narrative that is settling now in Pennsylvania. I see it because he's starting to run ads defending his behavior, which yeah. is in politics uh, telling in itself. But there's no question he, that he has much more empathy for the criminals and what they went through before they became criminals than the innocent. That's why he doesn't reach out to the families when he you know, aggressively pushes for proling murderers in jail for he life. He doesn't even ask for their opinion on it. It goes against their opinions. Yeah. And uh, there's, you know, there's, there's this famous case of, uh, uh, of, a, of a Faulkner is the name of the police officer. He was murdered in cold blood uh, by Abu Jamal, a, um, a person who's in jail now. Mm-hmm. And there's a this is a very hot topic in Pennsylvania because everyone knows the story. It was a young officer killed. And his widow has been quite vocal this week, actually, about the fact that she thinks what Fetterman has done, some of the actions he's taken, some of the appointees he's made to the mm-hmm. parole board or nominations for those uh, are made with great disrespect to her, her slain husband. And, of course, when the FOP endorsed me, they didn't just endorse me. It was unanimous. Yeah. You know how hard it is to get hundreds of cops, leaders, police chiefs to all be unanimous? Across the state of Across Pennsylvania. The state. Yeah. And, I, and I'll tell you one of the reasons it happened. You can't orchestrate this. And this is the part about politics that is most fascinating because you really can't predict what's happening. You just got to be able to roll with it and be yourself. That's why you have to really know who you are because yeah. you can't be yourself otherwise. So I'm sitting and it's, we're up in Erie, big ballroom and literally hundreds of, of cops and a African-American woman gets up in the front. I've given my little pitch why I'm a good guy, why, you know, I'm an immigrant's kid. I worked hard. I earned everything. I, I've tried to give back and here's all the things I've done. So she gets up and does something that I could never have done for myself. She says, I'm the head of the Capitol Police Force in Harrisburg. I have never in my life, and she's getting emotional, been dis- mistreated as badly as Fetterman has treated me and my staff. He treats us like we're, what would ha- be stuck under your shoe if you walked out of a dog park. Oh, man. And she just froze. She, she just felt so much frustration. It wasn't even anger. It was just this belief that here I am trying to make our community safer and better, and he treats me, treats me like I'm the evil force that caused the problem. And I left the room because you have to leave the room. Yeah. And because yeah, like, of, I feel like yeah. that went pretty well. And yeah. unanimous. Yeah. They have so much uh, frustration with the inability of Fetterman and far left activists like him to appreciate how difficult it is to run towards the problem. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's right. Run towards the fire. Yeah. You know, run towards the crisis. N- not everyone wants to do it. But you got to support the people who try to do it. And they're not going to get it right every time. And I think you really touched on this when you described the situation, especially with the drug problem that's happening in, in, in Pennsylvania and, and, and with policing, is liberals have somehow adopted this idea that compassion equals enabling. That you have to allow the crime to happen. You have to allow people to succumb to addiction. You can't help them. But as a doctor, that's something that you spent your entire life doing. Yeah, so I'm going to introduce an idea. You ready for this? It's called the drama triangle. This is true. I can't wait to hear that. Have you heard about this? No. This is really why liberals 
argue empathy is the best way for it. They're not really empathetic. They want a culprit. If you have a victim, by definition, you have a bully or a oppressor. They're watching this happen. They're not involved. They're not the victim. They're not the oppressor. They're the good goody two-shoes watching the oppressor take advantage of the victim and they're going to get involved and they're going to do it by protecting the, the, the victim and attacking the oppressor. It's the same narrative over and over again. It's how they express themselves. And we, you know, so I witness it all the time now. You have these you know, Chardonnay Antifa, we joke. Right? So, yeah, that's so, exactly right. Yeah, so they, we got names for them too here. So, <laughs> they come, you know, they, they came in from the suburbs. You know, they've got... Their, yep. <laughs> so they're, you know, they're going to be upset about something. They're not sure what yet what, but they're going to be upset about it. And then they, they find some victim who doesn't want to be a victim. Yeah. You know, people don't want to be victims. They want to be controllers of their destiny. They want to have agency over their future. But they want these guys to be victims. So they infantilize them, right? They keep them like they're, they're unable to do it on their own. They got to come after an oppressor. The oppressor maybe is a police officer who's trying to, you know, take care of the community. And they're going to find something they did wrong because they got to find an oppressor because that's their worldview. Yeah. And so empathy is there only to, and to allow themselves to emote Right. right, belief make themselves feel better. That, exactly about this process that they now they have identified in their worldview who the oppressors are. They're going to take them down, <laughs> not realizing that there are. It's not that simple. The world doesn't work that way. Not every victim, right, it was was put there by somebody else. Not every oppressor is doing it on purpose or actually is an oppressor. People and, actually have agency. Yeah. Right, they make decisions, and that complexity blows their mind. Yeah, and, no, that's so and, good. And that is actually what you're dealing with. And as I got into the race, I saw this more and more. And if you can wake people up to that. I'll tell you that I, I give one sort of closing statement and when I give my stump speeches. And I say, listen, I, I played football in college and the last words you hear before you run out in the field are the words, obviously, the national anthem. And it doesn't talk about liberty, does it? Doesn't talk about freedom. Talks about bravery, home of the brave. Because you can't be brave, right? Uh, only once in a while, you have to always be brave. And you can't be free if you're not brave. So bravery is something you have to make innately part of who you are. And in America today, the bravest thing you might have to do is say what you see. Just mm. call it out. Mm. Now, people aren't going to like that. They're going to shun you, censor you. They'll push it to the edge. They'll ostracize you, which is a traditional human thing we do when we don't like other people. And it's powerful and it's hurtful. But you have got to say what you see in America today. Otherwise, people are going to continue to feel like they're the only ones that are seeing what's going on. And then they feel, my goodness, what happened to the world? But if you all start to speak honestly about what we see, A, we'll work issues out because we are the same family. It's America, right? right? I don't get up in the morning and dislike Democrats. I want to figure out what they're thinking. I want them to understand me and we'll, you know, together we'll address what to do with China. But if we're not willing to say what we see, then we begin to think that we're the only one who sees the truth. Yeah. And what I'm describing now with this drama triangle is a good example. I didn't think of that. My daughter, one of my daughters, who's a psychology uh, psychologist and fairly liberal on the spectrum, it was her insight. Hmm. She saw it with a lot of her friends. Hmm. And it turns out it's a pretty widely discussed thing within that field, it, but they don't say it because yeah. they don't want to get embarrassed. Right. So let's say it. Next time you see someone who's part of the drama triangle, call them out on it. Right? <laughs> I love it. You know, that's not a victim. He doesn't want to be a victim. That person's certainly not the oppressor. They're trying to help. Listen, your message is just so perfectly resonant for the time. I have absolutely no doubt this worm is turning in this race. I mean, you can feel it, right? I mean, even from the outside, people like me who've done this long enough, you can feel when things start to change, right? And there's just no question watching the way that you're operating, the comfortability that you have with your message vis-a-vis -vis your opponent, 
and their uncomfortability with almost everything that they're dealing with, like this thing's gonna this thing's gonna happen. And I, I where do we go? Where do our listeners go to help you and your campaign? down the stretch. Josh, thank you for reminding me because I always forget and this is probably the most important <laughs> thing I'll say. DrOz.com. There, there is, I, in my opinion, only one way we don't win this and that's we get outspent two or three to one. Yeah. And Democrats are pouring money into Fetterman's campaign because they want the 51st seat. I don't actually think many of them know what we just talked about. If they did, I can't imagine they give them the kind of money they're giving them. Yeah. Uh, we will win if I get even close. You need more money to win if you're a bad candidate. It takes a lot of money to sell something you don't have. <laughs> so so uh, go to DrOz.com, support in any way you can. Uh, we will prevail. I'll make you proud on November 8th. Yeah, totally. And we'll keep uh, updated with the campaign throughout and let us know if we can ever do anything here. I love being here. God bless. Yeah. Boy, he's just like sharp as, as a nail, isn't he? So He's so smart. It's just, I, I, I don't. I can't imagine a scenario where you can stack those two candidates next to each other and anybody who's not just a raving lunatic liberal make a choice for Fetterman. Yeah. I mean, one guy has a literal finger on the pulse of everything that's happening Mm -hmm. and why it is that people are concerned, their economic concerns, their safety concerns. He's talked about like sort of the psychology of an American electorate in a lot of ways. Like he he gets that instinctively. And the other dude's in a fricking hoodie and and like sweatpants and could give two shits about any of that. He's living in his parents' basement. Like I, this is a choice that makes it's not really a choice. It, is, it became so clear to me, especially like, you know, you have, you've had the media who's been in the bag for Fetterman and, and being like, oh, wow, look at this tweet from him. When the guy is just like immobile and won't do interviews. Right. The media has been cheerleading for him for so long. But then like you you, you talk to, to, to Oz and you're just like, this is so obvious and crystal clear. And, and you're refreshing. Starting to see it. You're starting to see it in the polling where it's like, okay, things are bad. If you're a voter, you know things are not good right now. You've got one individual who's responsible and capable, and you've got one individual who has a history of like advocating for murderers and crime and and absolute like, I mean, for someone to lie to the voters about their health condition as a lieutenant governor for years, lie about it. How am I going to trust this guy if this guy won't be honest about his health, which could kill him? How is he going to be honest to me about anything else? The other thing I'm really glad that uh, that was brought up was his costume. And Holmes, you you really dug in on this and. The, it's so offensive that this guy who is LARPing as a normal working class person just seems to think that like, oh, people will think I'm working class if I wear gym shorts and a sweatshirt as if working class people don't put on a shirt and a tie when mm-hmm. they need to do something important. Yeah, like being, you know a, I mean? sl- being a slob is actually desirable. It is It is the most offensive thing it is. that I've seen this Especially coming cycle. from someone who's just like, lived off their family's dollar right. for so long. Literally for a dollar. Like, he bought a house for a dollar from his sister. Like, <laughs> it makes this, me mad. We, honestly, makes, being, it, dude, being from that's where what he I, thinks it, what I grew up is. with, what I grew up with, and I suspect most of you, is that you, you did your very best to try to be presentable out of respect for people right. that you're dealing with. Because you don't want to disrespect the, the people you're trying to deal with, right? right? And this guy is an active fuck you to everyone. Yep. He's like, I don't give a shit what you all think i'm gonna do whatever the hell i'm gonna do i'm getting subsidized by my parents 100 percent of the time and by the way i think we ought to empty the prisons under the streets of philadelphia well it's a you know if if, if fetterman walked into your office for a job interview you throw him the fuck out throw him the fuck out and that's what the voters of pennsylvania need to do that's yeah, and, and that's you right. see it in the polling it's already turning for oz and and i gotta tell you and you know 
for folks who are listening, that was a great interview. But you meet the guy, genuine, honest, hardworking guy. I mean, his track record is he's built himself up from nothing. And now, I mean, he could have had, I mean, it's almost like Trump. He could have had a wonderful life. Of, right. of the fruits of his labor, but he chooses to get in the scrum and and become a public servant. And and I don't think you'll find someone who'll work as hard as he is. The guy's a fucking open, I open wish heart ev- surgeon. I wish everybody in Pennsylvania got to spend as much time as we spent with him, because I'll guarantee you it would be like a forty point race yeah. if they did. Yeah, he's going to win that one. But again, it's going to take all of us, you know, working to make this red wave happen because it's not something that's happening. It's something that we're doing, folks. Absolutely, I think we did it, pal. If I say so myself, absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you to Megan Kelly, and thank you to our new listeners. Thank you to Dr. Oz. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.